Today's guest on the podcast is Ben Jawalski with Wad Prep. We had an amazing conversation about CrossFit and tons of super helpful tips about double unders and pull-ups and snatches and clean and jerks. But as many of you know, I have this weightlifting background and I started dabbling in CrossFit last year in December and I just love it so much. So I used a lot of Ben's wad prep videos on YouTube and some of his free courses to teach myself some of these new CrossFit skills. And I just reached out to him because I think he's so cool and said, hey, can you be on the podcast? And he said, sure. And so I really enjoyed speaking with him um, in person and just thanking him for his amazing value content that he puts out there. That's really some fantastic stuff. If you're thinking about CrossFit or already deep in, in training and and doing all the workouts, he really does have a great service with his wad prep business. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Ben. I know I did, and I'm looking forward to his strict pull-up program because that is my goat. And I want to get that this next year. But uh, enjoy the show with Ben at Watt Prep. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Ben with Wad Prep. Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? It's going to be here. So glad to have you on. I know we've got a lot of interested uh, CrossFitters from my box who I told that I was talking to you today when I was at my workout, and they're like, oh, I have lots of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't wait to try to explain them via audio. It's yes, going to be right. it's going to be fun to try to talk about these movements that are very visually um <laughs> they're visually hard enough to demonstrate, right. but man, when we do it in audio form, that that's the true test. That's right. I'm just keeping your skills uh fresh. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got involved in CrossFit. Sure. Um so a few years ago, and when I say a few years ago, it's probably almost 10 years ago at this point, um, I was in college um, or at university, depending on which hemisphere <laughs> you live in. Um, and I went to North Carolina State University. And one day when I was home from summer break, one of my previous high school teachers, uh, he and I were pretty close. He was like one of my favorite teachers slash mentors in high school. When I was home for summer break, one of that high school teacher was like, Hey, you got to try this CrossFit thing. Mm. They do, they do these crazy pull-ups. I think they're called Kipper ring pull-ups. <laughs> so he didn't even, he didn't even get it right. Uh, I still, for whatever reason, that, that term Kipper ring has stuck in my brain anyway. So he told me about this crazy workout thing. He said, just go to CrossFit.com and and then do what it says. So I'm pretty sure maybe later that week I tried it and I just tried it here in actually the like kitchen living room area that I'm sitting right now at my parents' house. Um, cause I was staying at my parents' house for the summer. So I tried it and I threw up as soon as I was done <laughs> the workout. My, the first workout I ever did was Barbara. Um, and that's not quite as popular anymore but it's basically like a 
a multiple round workout where you take, I think, a, either a minute or a two-minute break in between each round. And there's like pull-ups and push-ups and other stuff in there. And I, I saw people's times posted on CrossFit.com back when people you would actually post their times and, and results. And, you know, like it, it, they would do something like M slash 20 slash, you know, whatever, a bunch of numbers. And basically it stood for male, 20 years old, height, weight, and then like years of CrossFit experience. And these people were crushing me. <laughs> and I hated that. So that's what got me into CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your back background like your fitness background before then was there were you a runner or sports um i have never enjoyed long distance running um ever uh and still don't <laughs> um i'm very much into sports so i played basketball pretty competitively um when i was in high school some of the people i played with uh various like aau teams uh are now playing in the nba or had a short stint in the nba so I had some really competitive uh, basketball friends, but I am five foot nine inches and can't dunk at that height. Um, so let's just say I wasn't destined to be in the NBA. <laughs> um, and basketball and then football. I was actually probably a little bit better at football than basketball, and I loved football so much. But um, I ended up going to North Carolina State to fish on their fishing team. So ah, competitive like bass, bass fishing. fishing. Okay. Yep. Which has nothing to do with CrossFit whatsoever. But uh, to answer your sport background question <laughs> or fitness background question, it was mainly just lots of um, training for basketball and football. So where are you from originally where you would know bass fishing? Uh, Maryland, okay. which isn't necessarily a hotbed for bass fishing. You'd think more like Texas and Alabama, those southern states. But my dad, my, my grandfather got my dad into fishing. My dad has always recreationally fished. And then one day when I was on, um, I specifically remember I was like watching TV and I saw a bass fishing competition on TV. And I was like, what? I can combine <laughs> competition and my love for bass fishing. This is amazing. And then that kind of like took me down the rabbit hole of actually getting getting involved in a bunch of competitive tournaments and stuff like that and uh, it's been it's been a really fun part of my life um, definitely not fitness related because um, there's a lot of bass fishermen that are really out of shape and fat and have back problems <laughs> but I think that uh, the exercise and working out has has been beneficial and allowed me to like you know back when I was very competitive at it um, it allowed me to like have longer endurance on the water and, you know, not feel back pain and just, right. you know, focus on the fishing and not the, the health problems. So you were like, this is a walk in the park. I can sit in this boat all day. Yeah. And a lot <laughs> of it's standing. So you'll stand, oh, stand. Like yeah. 13 hours at a time. Oh, and it's wow. like, if you don't, I don't know if you're not doing deadlifts and squats, that's going to be pretty miserable. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about CrossFit in general. So there's a lot of, well, first let's explain to people what CrossFit is if they don't know. Of course. So I'm going to butcher it a little <laughs> bit. So I'm not going to try the official um, definition or, you know, I, I don't expect me to nail it. But CrossFit right. is what they, what they call it is, is constantly varied functional fitness performed at a high intensity um, and usually there's a time component so basically imagine doing a workout where 
you're doing functional movements. So when I say functional movements, we're talking minimal equipment. You really don't need that much stuff. Um, so we're not using a bunch of machines per se. It's more like, hey, let's move this weight a certain way and let's try to do it as many times as possible in 10 minutes. Um, so that's that, that's kind of CrossFit. Basically, we have a, a variety of different movements that we've pulled from all aspects of various fitness um, domains, and then we do those things at a high intensity, and usually there's some sort of time component. Mm -hmm. So if anyone here who's listening has any streak of competition running through their veins, <laughs> um, I, I assure you, even if you're not really big into exercise, if you have a competitive streak and you go to a CrossFit gym and get a taste of what working out in a competitive um, arena kind of feels like, uh, it, it's it's absolutely mind-blowing how much more you're going to fall in love with fitness. So that's yeah. kind of like, that's my spiel. It's like anyone who has any sort of competitive streak will fall in love with CrossFit if they really give it an honest shot. Um, and then at the same time, it still has blown me away. Like a lot of my family, um, especially my wife's side of the family, when I started dating uh, my wife a long time ago, zero of those people did CrossFit. And now almost all of them do. And a lot of them never in a million years would have done anything like competitive or, or worried, like done anything as silly as CrossFit. And now they all love it. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's really cool how. Once one person gets into it, uh, it's kind of like a trickle-down effect, and a lot of people will realize that, yeah, like, you know, going really hard for, you know, an hour at a CrossFit gym or, or doing my own workout with minimal equipment and, and pushing it really hard for 30 minutes, you can get a lot done and you feel really good after. Yeah, it's really, you're so right, though, about the competitive streak, because, man, I totally, totally suck at CrossFit, but I just get in there and I'm competing with no one, you know, but I it, yeah. you just, you can't help but want to get better. Yeah. And that's, infectious. that's something that like, I guess I want to caveat for those of you listening that are like, uh, I don't want to, like, I don't want to compete against people at exercise. Like I'm going to lose. I'm going to look silly. It's not necessarily a competition against anyone. Right. Um, it can be if you want it to be, but it's mainly a, it's a, it's a competition against yourself. So like when someone, let's say a, a 40 year old, you know, lady goes to the gym, uh, goes to a CrossFit gym for the first time and week number one, they can lift, you know, 50 pounds over their head. And then three weeks later, they're comfortable enough to lift 75 pounds over their head. That competition, that improvement with themselves it's a, it's addicting. It's really amazing. I'm sure Meredith, as I think you mentioned earlier, um, or at least you emailed it to me, you're working on your double unders right now. Yeah. And how amazing does it feel when you get those first double unders? Oh my it, gosh. Yeah. It's like, it's an adrenaline rush. Well, I started, so I started CrossFit back about almost seven months ago. I have a background in Olympic weightlifting from a hundred years ago. And then I, <laughs> I walked away from Olympic weightlifting 20 years ago and didn't touch a barbell for 20 years, you know? And then, so I slowly started lifting again, just for the fun of it. And then I figured out CrossFit has Olympic lifts. And I thought, well, I'll go try that. I, I did not realize at the time that CrossFit had gymnastics. Yep. <laughs> that yep. was where I got tricked into it. But yeah, the double unders, um, I remember the first workout, I think I went 
to my CrossFit, I go to a place called the Garage in Woodstock, Georgia, and we did a jump rope warm up, and it was just single unders, and I could not jump rope. Yeah. At all. And I thought, how did I get through childhood without jumping rope? <laughs> and then, you know, you look around and there's people doing double unders, which is passing the rope two times under your feet. And I thought, oh, I've got to get that. Yep. I've got to figure out how to do that. So, yeah. And, and I actually got my first double under. I was going to tell you this story. Um, I got signed, um, talked into doing the open, signing up for the open this year. Nice. It was, I was three months in, but... Um, so they talked to me into that. And then on the morning of, I think it was 18.3, which was like the hundred double unders and the 20 overhead squats, I was driving toward the gym and I sat in the parking lot and watched your video. Cause you were emailing out the prep videos like the night yep. before or something. Yep. So I sat in the car, um, watching that video and I thought, well, I'm just going to do it scaled. I'm going to do the single unders. <laughs> Um, and you said something like you should always do whatever you can to RX or something like that. Maybe yeah. That's not your quote. Yeah. So that in that video, I specifically remember I, it was a challenge to anyone watching that if you can do double unders, I challenge you to attempt this workout RX because a lot of times the reason uh, and I know this this terminology for a lot of people listening is like, what are they talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So RX. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our RX means doing the workout as prescribed. The great thing about CrossFit is that you can take a workout that calls for a bunch of really complicated stuff, and a good coach will be able to give you that same exact workout done to your level of fitness. So that's why I can work alongside my grandmother Mm-hmm. and she can hit a workout, the same workout that I'm doing, and, and, and stimulate the same muscle groups, but we're obviously doing totally different workouts. So it's still, that's like, kind of like the beauty of CrossFit. Anyway, my challenge to people were, hey, if you cannot do double, or if you can only do one or two double unders, you're probably looking at this workout, which called for multiple rounds of 100 double unders, you're probably looking at this workout and saying, there is no stinking way I am doing this workout. And if I am doing it, I'm, I'm going to scale it down. I'm going to do single unders instead, which is a much more manageable movement. And in the video, I challenged people. I said, hey, if you can do one double under, my challenge to you is to suffer through it and attempt this workout with double unders. Yeah. Just try it. And I can't tell you how many messages I got back that were like, hey, I went into this workout 100% convinced that I was going to do it scaled. I tried it RX because of your challenge because what the heck, what do I have to lose? And sure enough, you know, in the middle of the workout, I, you know, hit a brand new PR, which is, stands for personal record. I hit a brand new PR on my double unders and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Broke down crying in the middle of the workout. Got it. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's really cool. Like when you challenge people or tell them, Hey, I know you don't think you can do this, but I want you to try it. Yeah. It's amazing what, what people can do. It was so awesome though. So I was at the point where I was doing single, single, double, single, yep. single, double. And so I asked my coach, I said, can I do this and count my double under as the ever, you know, the every third one. And try and get to 100. And so that's what I did. I single, single, doubled, and that was one. Single, single, double, two. 
And I did that all the way to 100. And I forget what the time cap was, but I had like a minute left. And I got, or maybe two minutes left, but I got my overhead squats in too. Nice. And so I was, you know, it took me forever, but it was awesome. Just so awesome. So, I, you know, that's when I got hooked on the wad prep stuff. <laughs> nice. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so while we're talking about double unders, do you want to talk about double unders? Yeah, sure. Okay. So let's talk about what, like kind of beginning from single unders to getting your first strung together double unders. Yeah, of course. Um, so I actually gave a seminar last night, uh, at the time of recording this last night, I did a seminar at a local CrossFit gym here, um, about this very topic. So it's fresh in my mind, which is good. Okay. When it when it comes to double unders, a lot of people will um, they they always try to go for a you know a massive unbroken set of double unders, and if they can't do it, they fail. It's it's kind of similar to let's say if you were attempting a, a one rep max back squat every single time you did a back squat. That doesn't really make much sense. It's not very smart. Or if every single time you went for a run, you tried to hit a brand new record on whatever distance you're running. Like mm -hmm. every time going for 100% max effort. That's what a lot of people do with double unders. And I like to break it down into much more smaller manageable pieces. So um, the f first step is to just get one double under. And it's, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh, just do one. Um, and visually it's going to be hard for me to uh describe this or, or or in audio form it's going to be hard to describe but basically the goal to start is you want to practice uh fast single unders and then something that i call big single unders a single under is where the rope passes under your feet once a big single is where we're doing a double under jump but we're still doing one single rope spin uh -huh. So once I teach people the big single concept and I don't have them just doing single unders, a lot of people who are stuck on single unders, they only jump about, I don't know, half an inch off the ground. And they're like, I can do single unders all day long, but they still can't jump the, the, the requisite height to actually get a double under done. Uh -huh. So I teach people how to jump higher with their single unders. We call those big singles. And then after the big singles are kind of mastered, then we move on to just doing one double under and getting that first one is a, is a huge moment for people. But a lot of people they'll get one and then they get really pissed off that they can't do two. <laughs> right. I like to celebrate the fact that we get the one. So getting one double under consistently at all cost, that means you can do what I call a mega jump, which is where you just like jump ridiculously high in the air, lift your knees up, do whatever you can with your arms to get the rope around twice it looks totally ridiculous and silly, but if we can get a consistent double under every single time that we try one, even if it means we can't even keep spinning the rope, uh, I want to see one double under consistently. Then the next step after that, um, the next level, is to do a double under consistently, but keep the rope spinning. So that means like you can go big single, 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 double Single, 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 single. That's totally fine. So basically, I'm keeping the ropes spinning. The next level is to start adding in more double unders. So let's say single, single, double, 
single, 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 double, single, 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 double. That's kind of the next level. We keep the rope spinning, and we're also peppering in those double unders on a consistent basis. Then the next level is single, double, single, double, single, double, which is <laughs> that's harder for me to do it personally. Is. That's so confusing. <laughs> so many people get stuck in that, uh, and it's without being able to draw on a screen or show it to you visually, it's really hard for me to explain why that's a common thing. But it's a very common thing. A lot of people get stuck in, in single double hell, for lack of a better term. <laughs> that's what people call it, or that's what I call it. Um, and then they can never break out. So that's kind of like the next level. And then after that, we do two double unders unbroken at all costs. So let's say single, 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 double, and then double. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big one to break through. And at last night at the seminar, we had a couple people break into... Uh, both their first double under, and then they ascended into multiple unbroken double unders, like two or three. Um, and then once we have that level, then we move on to, you know, whatever, going for infinity unbroken. <laughs> but it's really important to connect those initial dots before trying to move on to, like, these bigger sets. I see a lot of people, their double unders are totally hit or miss. Sometimes they'll do five, sometimes they do zero, and they're just like all over the place. I'd rather see someone consistently hit two uh, or five or ten than someone who's all over the map. Yeah. So, yeah, that's okay. kind of like the progression. I sort of get surprised. <laughs> that's how my double unders work. Like, I'll, I'll get going and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm at ten. And then I'll get surprised and stop. Like, if I don't yeah. think about it, that's when I can do them. Yeah, and then another thing, like, once you kind of get to that multiple unbroken, you know, level, like, let's say you you can do five double unders. When you go to the gym next, your goal should be, let's try to hit six, not a hundred, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? A lot of people, like, they just, like, they, they, they'll hit a new PR, you know, they'll hit a new record, but then they, like, they want more and more and more and more. And I just kind of caution people not to get too worked up in always trying to set new records just just go back and see if you can hit that same number that you hit last time maybe one or two reps more uh, and then if you do just hang up that rope you don't need to make a giant breakthrough every single day it's that slow steady progression that will build a good double under um a double under -er. mm -hmm. it's that's way better than the the streaky person who's totally hit or miss every day and how often do you recommend like practicing um, double unders if you, I, I saw some video you did, I think, where you said to pick like a skill and master that, or maybe it was three skills. Yeah, so I'll kind of like share the the wad prep philosophy for this. Um, I see a huge problem with a lot of CrossFit athletes, and when I say CrossFit athletes, um, that's just a fancy term I use for anyone who does CrossFit. Uh, okay. <laughs> they have to be like a super athlete here. Um, anyone who does CrossFit, a lot of people get wrapped up in, in the, you know, dozens of skills that we need to learn. So Monday, they'll practice double unders. Tuesday, they'll be working on pull-ups. Wednesday, they're working on muscle-ups. Thursday, maybe some ankle mobility. And then Friday, we're working on snatches. And then Saturday, we're doing, you know, backflips or something. Mm -hmm. Who knows? So they're all over the place. And um, I forget what the exact, you know, phrase is, but progress in a million diff different directions gets you nowhere, right? Right. 
So if you if you imagine taking a step in every direction possible, north, south, east, west, you know, all directions, you you eventually end up in the same exact place. So what I try to challenge athletes to do is to focus on one skill for uh, you know a cycle of time. It's kind of periodization in a nutshell, where we're taking a short period of time and we're going to focus on one particular skill, try to get really good at that skill, and then after that period of time is over, we now have a certain level of like achievement or mastery or proficiency in that movement. So for instance, for double unders, I wouldn't suggest doing them every single day, but I also wouldn't suggest, this is probably the most common version, uh, only practicing double unders when they're programmed in your daily workout. That is like a super duper common flaw that I see so many people making their gym or the programming they follow, the workouts they follow, will only add in double-unders maybe once per week. So they'll practice maybe once per week if they have the time. Mm -hmm. Instead, I like to, uh, this is where wad prep comes into play, we actually have programming where we give you three days per week of accessory programming. Like we're talking 15 to 20 minutes max start to finish of Add this to whatever you're normally doing and do it three times per week. That's kind of like the sweet spot. Doing it every day, usually too much and too overwhelming. Doing it once a week, probably not enough. Uh, and a lot of times it's less than once a week. But if you can add in two to three days per week of accessory programming focused on that one particular skill you're trying to unlock, you will see drastic, drastic improvements. Cool. So let's talk about pull-ups. Yeah. Um, my goal is to be able to do one pull-up by the open next year. <laughs> okay. I am so... Okay, so I I did triathlon and I did Olympic weightlifting. Neither of those sports have apparently the muscles needed to do a pull-up. And, yep. and as a kid, I never did pull-ups. So I have none of the proficiency to do a pull-up. So okay. um, basically, I'm not a gymnast is, yep. is the summary of this whole thing. Um but I want a pull-up so bad I can't stand it. And so I'm actually working with one of my friends who's a former triathlete and is a CrossFit coach. She's sending me some accessory work to do a couple of times a week too um, on the pull-ups. But that is a frust... Is that like the most frustrating thing for people or is it double-unders <laughs> <Yeah>. because... <laughs> it's um, honestly, if there was a frustration competition, I don't know who would win, but it's, <laughs> it's certainly... I think double unders may be more frustrating because it, it, like people make it look so so easy yeah with pull-ups people can understand like wow you know um i can't pull myself up i know it's really hard for people um uh, but double unders will just look effortless sometimes yeah but when it comes to developing pull-ups you're doing the right thing by doing accessory you know programming that your your buddy's sending you the the thing with pull-ups is oftentimes we treat the pull-up as one thing right so like all right i grab onto the bar i pull my chin over the bar pretty simple there are so many muscle groups involved that what i like to do is isolate where are we weak for a lot of people it's the entire movement okay whatever but for for others it's a specific segment of the pull-up so i actually have a couple questions for you <laughs> can you when you jump up to the bar can you get out of the bottom or or like, can you get out of the bottom, but then you get stuck halfway up? Or on the flip side, if you jumped up and started halfway up, 
on your pull-up? Like you started at a 90 degree. Could you finish the rep? Two questions. You, you know, I haven't tried that in a long while. That's a really good question. I do know that when we would do jumping pull-ups, someone told me to focus on the negative, you know, to huh? jump up and hold myself in negative. I cannot do that. Okay. At any, at any like, point? Like no, no I, negative strength? Mm, okay. No, I'm also really heavy. I'm like 195 pounds. So okay, okay. Um, as a chick, I think that's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe okay, so else, but so um, this is this is always a challenge when I'm like you know coaching people and talking to them. But power to weight ratio is a that is pull ups, yeah. right? Like if you don't weigh anything, the chances of you doing a pull up increase a lot, right? right? They increase exponentially. Right. So, you know, one of the best things that you can do for like our nutrition course, we actually have a, a wild prep nutrition course. Uh, multiple people at the end of that nutrition course were like, holy crap, I can do a pull-up now, <laughs> right? Did we do any pull-up work? No. Uh, just simply, right. you know, losing the weight. Um, if you have the weight to lose, that can be uh, a, that's probably the number one area that we can improve our chances of, of getting a pull-up. Right. Number two, we need to work on the strength throughout the entire range of, of motion. So doing negatives, that was one thing I was going to suggest. Doing negatives are excellent. If you just fall straight down, uh, and for those of you who don't know, let me try to describe a negative. A negative is where we jump up uh, or take a box and get up over top of the bar where our chin's above the bar, and then we basically get off the box or, or we've jumped off the ground and we try to lower ourselves. It's like a reverse pull up. I'm letting myself slowly, but surely lower myself all the way down until my arms are fully extended and I'm dangling from the bar. If you can't do a negative with like at least like a three second count. So that mm -hmm. means jump up, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. If you can't go that slow, then I would suggest adding a little bit of help. So that means I would do negatives with a band or I would do negatives um, with your toes barely touching like the edge of a box or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you just fall straight to the ground, negatives really aren't going to help too much. You need to have some sort of control during that uh, what we call the eccentric phase of the movement. Um, Another, so that's a great way to develop strength. Bicep curls, for those of you who want to get some bodybuilding in, bicep curls are a hugely underrated part of the pull-up. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're using your biceps. You're using your back. Um, another thing, lat pull-downs. If you happen to, like, for anyone who goes to a Globo gym, you actually are at a slight advantage here. You can use the lat pull-down machine, you know, that, like, $10,000 machine that no one uses. Um <laughs> To, you know, grab grab that, you know, bar that's above you and really focus on activating your back and pulling um, the bar, you know, as low to your body as possible. That's a gr it's literally a pull-up. You're just sitting down and you're using a machine. Um, things like that. We're, we're trying to strengthen um, our biceps. We're trying to strengthen our shoulders and our scapula. So basically those, like, mid-back muscles, um, our lats, all of those things are very, very important for the pull-up. Uh, in our programming that we have, we have a course called Strict Pull-Up Strength, where basically it's like an eight-week accessory program, just like all of our other courses that we talked about. Strict Pull-Up Strength is an eight-week accessory program where we give you, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of work to do two to three times a week, and 
it's in eight weeks, our goal is to help you get at least one pull-up. Or if you only have one pull-up, increase it to like, you know, three, four, five reps unbroken. That's the goal. Um, because pull-ups are the building block for all of the other fancy gymnastic movements. Like, right. if you can't do a single strict pull-up, you should not do any kipping pull-ups. If you can't do a single strict pull-up, you should not worry about uh, doing any sort of, you know, muscle-ups ever. Um and I'm sure there's a million other movements, uh, bar muscle-ups, ring muscle-ups, um, pretty yeah, much any push-ups. <laughs> yeah. I mean, put that since that's a push and not a pull, it is kind of different, but I'm sure there's a positive correlation there. You can't yeah. do a strict pull-up. <laughs> the chances of you being able to do a handstand push-up decrease. And that's another one that, uh, directly correlates with like that power to weight ratio yeah. that I talked about. Yeah. Um, but so it's, it, it's a really good indicator of just success in all of these gymnastic e movements. So it's hugely, hugely important, but everyone wants to get caught up in the kipping right away. But developing that strict strength is very, very important. So, um, yeah, hopefully that answers some of your question. Another thing, um, I forgot to mention, we have those negatives. We have kind of the traditional bodybuilding stuff. Another thing is like the segmented pull up basically where you only are working on the, the upper third of the pull-up or the lower third of the pull-up or the middle of the pull-up or the very, very bottom using like a scapular pull-up. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Mm-hmm. Can't explain it. You're just going to have to YouTube it for those <laughs> of you listening. Um, all of those things should be in a good pull-up program. You shouldn't just focus on the full movement. You need to segment it into smaller pieces. And then like a, like a puzzle – you put all the pieces together and it makes something awesome. So that's that's the goal. I think where I'm missing, the, the big thing that I'm missing, obviously the, the power to weight ratio is a problem for me, but I am very strong um, just in general. But I think I'm not engaging my my lats. I, I just think that that's asleep. Yep. They're yep. asleep. The, the <laughs> scapular pull-ups are going to be huge for you. Yeah. Um, could be it could be your lats um it could be your scaps which is like basically pinch your shoulder blades together you're activating those scapular muscles um yeah i think i'm trying to pull myself up with my shoulders (laughs) yeah you could be and that's the thing it's like there there are so many muscles involved in the pull-up it's not just the bicep it's not just the the back muscles it's all of them combined um and then if you really like have you ever tried strict pull-ups with a band yes i can i can do those okay okay yeah so what i would challenge for those like in some videos i've demonized bands because they really piss me off because a lot of people (laughs) will get stuck like every day for three years or or any day pull-ups are programmed for three years they use the same green band every single time it's like (laughs) That is not what you want. That's defeating the purpose. That's not progress. Um, so I would just encourage you, find whatever band you barely can do a pull-up. Like, let's say you can do maybe two in a row, three in a row. That's the band you should be using to practice. Okay. Um, you shouldn't be using the band that's like, oh, man, I can do 25 unbroken now. Mm-hmm. That's not going to help you. Um, so find that band. And uh, another thing people don't realize you can combine bands. So like, let's say the red band is too light, but the green band is too heavy. Take two red bands, put them next to each other and put your leg or put your foot into two red bands. Voila. Mm-hmm. You know, you just double the, the, the assistance from the red band. So use band combinations and find that sweet spot. And once you find the sweet spot, then 
you're going to start to see that progress. And you'll get to – the reason I ask is because if you can add a band, you will feel all of those various muscle groups activating. And it's a great way to kind of prompt your body to say, hey, this is what it feels like if we you know, didn't have this extra weight or if we had this extra strength. This is what it's going to feel like. And so how do you feel about ring rows as far as training for pull-ups? Is that helpful? I'm not a fan. Personally, because it's such an easy movement to like, like you can use your hamstrings, you can use your, if you do them properly, they're fantastic, but it's such an easy movement to, to kind of get around, to (laughs) cheat, to kip, to, you know, you could be standing up at a 45 degree angle doing ring rows or, you know, totally uh, laying flat against the ground, which makes it harder. Like there's so many different ways we can do it. I love the movement ring rows, but I don't necessarily love them as the only way that we scale down pull-ups. Okay. So let's talk about some more advanced movements for people that are wanting to hear about them. Let's t- what, what's your favorite like advanced movement? Bar muscle-ups. Okay. So let's talk about bar muscle-ups. How let's do you do, do them? How do you do them? Um, <laughs> So there's three different parts of the bar muscle-up. And just a quick caveat, the bar muscle-up is the only movement that I suggest kipping before strict. When it comes to to pull-ups, always strict before kipping. That's how you should learn it. When it comes to ring muscle-ups, strict ring muscle-ups before kipping ring muscle-ups. When it comes to handstand push-ups, strict handstand push-ups before kipping, right? I mean, it's pretty much every movement. But the only one where I suggest, no, kipping first is better, is bar muscle-ups. And the reason is, you just have to be really, 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 really freaking strong to do a strict bar muscle-up. So, realistically speaking, doing a little bit of a kip, having a little bit of a swing, uh, as long as you already have multiple strict pull-ups, you can already do lots of kipping pull-ups, then you're ready for some kipping bar muscle-ups. That's my quick caveat. Okay. When it comes to a bar muscle, there's kind of like three stages. And of course, I can't describe it. There, we do have a video on on YouTube. If you go into YouTube and you type in bar muscle up slow motion, I'm pretty sure we should be up there. Um, you'll yeah. see a video up there. Well, I like to think of, when I explain it to people that don't know, I always say it's the part of the gymnastics. Like when you're watching gymnastics and the girls are on the bar, <laughs> it's yep. the part where they get up on the bar. It's, it's the part where they don't get any points. <laughs> <laughs> Yet it's impossible for us to do. Yeah, right, um, right. pretty much. The bar muscle up um, that I suggest is like kind of three parts. Basically, we start like we're doing a kip and pull up. We're pulling ourselves into the arch position. So we're arched. That develops a lot of tension. And then when we start to snap ourselves back behind the bar into the hollow position, we do what's called a lever or a lever, depending on how you pronounce it. I say I vary it up, but let's call it a lever for for today. So we lever back, which means I'm thinking my arm is straight. I'm actively pulling myself to the bar. I'm thinking about pulling my hips to the bar, and it kind of looks like you're swinging as a lever with your head and shoulders going up and away from where they started. So I know this visually is like, people are like, what is he mm-hmm. talking about? If you watch the video, I promise you, you'll be able to, to understand. But there's three different things. You lever, then as soon as you're levered to the right height, you pop and pull, 
So that simply means a very aggressive hip-hop combined with a quick pull of your arms into the bar. So lever, pop and pull, and then the transition. The transition should be quick. It should be fast. It's kind of like you're doing a really fast sit-up over top of the bar. Uh, and then a very important thing that a lot of people miss is you need to let your hands actually slide around the bar. If you imagine when I jump up from the bottom and grab a pull-up bar, my hands are below the bar. If I want to get above the bar, how do I get my hands and body above the bar? I have to actually let my hands slide around the bar. You don't necessarily have to do this if you're doing like a strict muscle-up, but if you're doing a bar muscle-up and it's kipping, you have to have the, the ability and the, and the comfortable, like you have to be comfortable with allowing your hands to slide and kind of float as you go up and above the bar. One of my favorite ways to scale this movement is with a band. Uh, I know I don't always like bands for strict pull-ups, but for bar muscle-ups, they're fantastic because they basically give you a ton of help. And once an athlete kind of has it click and they're like, oh, that's what it's supposed to feel like, mm -hmm. then you can take away the band a lot of times and they'll be able to get it. So it is so high in the air though. Like we, <laughs> we were doing some stuff on boxes, just jumping. And I'm like, I am, this is really high in the air. Not that I'm even close to a bar muscle up, but I'm, I feel like if I ever get up there, I'm just going to fall all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd be surprised. It's I've, I can safely say, or I can, I can confidently say, Hey, I've never seen anyone fly all the way around oh well that's um, good to know and it probably wouldn't be me because <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to do that um because your your lower body really weighs you down so just getting above the bar is hard enough um and yeah once you have the strength to get up there then lowering yourself down isn't isn't too crazy so yeah, yeah you might be surprised it's not it's not that wild that would be cool to try with bands though i might like to do that yeah to, yeah yeah and and again the even with bands, um, you can have the strongest band in the world, but there's no way. Um, I've never seen anyone who can do a banded bar muscle up and, and nail it without having all those prerequisites in place. Okay. So, okay. so again, just like for you, focus on, on <laughs> hitting pull ups those, for the next tech decade. <laughs> hit, focus on the pull ups, focus on those double unders. Those are probably the big domino movements that if you can knock those over, everything will start falling into place. I'm definitely going to get your wad prep um, pull-up course because, you, I mean, your double-unders were I, – I just did that, and it, it's amazing. And, and one of the things in the double-under practice that really helped too was the – is it the penguin clap? Yes, Yes, that little motion, if I get kind of tripped up in my double-unders and doing that little clap, it kind of gets me back on track. Yes, the penguin so clap. That's my favorite. Um, and it's funny, when I was doing the double-under sem seminar recently – all of the people who could do double unders consistently and successfully made the penguin clap look easy. And all yeah. of the people who were struggling were, were making mistakes and they like felt really awkward and it was weird for them. So there is a direct correlation. I am convinced <laughs> if you can unlock a penguin clap and do it properly, unfortunately, some people who aren't very coordinated at it think they're doing it right, but they're not. Um, so, Again, watch one of my videos on the penguin clap. Have someone else check you out um, while you're doing it or simply watch yourself on video. If you're able to do the penguin clap, 
You jump up in the air. You clap your hands to the side of your hips twice while you're in the air. No rope. Uh, just no don't. rope. Yeah. No rope. And then you can land and go straight back up into it without any pauses. If you can figure that out and feel really comfortable, I like to tell people it's like um, it's like what patting your head and rubbing your belly. Yeah. It's like one of those things where it's like it takes a little while, but once you get the hang of it, you can do it. You know, whenever. Um, and then it's a direct correlation to being able to knock out those double unders. So do you think that the Olympic lifts are sort of a barrier for people? I mean, for me, it's the gymnastics that kill me. But do you find that a lot of people when wanting to start CrossFit say, well, I can't really move a barbell? Is that a big barrier? Absolutely. Um, I mean, when we do, uh, back when I used to own my own affiliate, the majority of our foundations class was all barbell related. It was all, you know, push press, back squat, front squat, um, push jerk clean, snatch, all of these overhead squats, all of these things that involve the barbell, people tend to be very afraid uh, mm -hmm. throwing around a piece of metal by their face and above their head. And I, under <laughs> and I understand why. Um, so when it comes to the Olympic lifts, it's really just like time, time under tension. Uh, you, you need to have a barbell in your hand. And the more comfortable I can make people with that barbell and the more I can teach them how to fail properly like that's a very underrated skill right. if you don't know how to fail properly then you're going to be petrified to fail but if i can teach people like i will literally have people load the barbell put it over their head uh, and try to do an overhead squat and i will say regardless of whether you can do it or not i want you to practice bailing forward and backward mm -hmm. um and what happens is after two or three reps like we'll actually do that in the warm up sometimes. After two or three forced failures, all of a sudden they're like, "Wow, okay, that that's not so bad." When I drop it behind me, it doesn't hit me and kill me. I'm <laughs> able to walk safely away. This is great. And then all of a sudden they're more comfortable. They hit a new PR uh, yeah. just because they're, they're they're willing to take the risk because they know the the risk isn't going to kill them. Right. Yeah. Teaching to bail and also stepping away from you know the rig. Like if you're doing jerks or something like that you know getting far enough away where if you do bail it doesn't bounce back at you spatial awareness yes. is a thing that uh can be taught and it's something we try to teach it's like whenever you're lifting you should never have anything underneath your bar like it's a huge pet peeve of mine when people have their you know maybe they're going to be adding more weights later or they took off weights and the weights are sitting right in their drop zone yeah right all you're asking for is for the you hit the corner, you drop the barbell, you know the the bar and the plates land on the corner of your dead weight that's sitting on the ground, and then it like hits it and spins. And I mean, there's all kinds of craziness that I have seen happen. Right. Keep your drop zone clean. Make sure that you can drop it forward. You can drop it backwards. You have space to do whatever you want with the barbell and not hit any other person and not hit any other thing. Uh, and then you're going to be in a much more safe lifting environment. So what do you think the most important thing to like, as far as working strength with the Olympic lifts, like if you had one thing to tell people, this will help improve your snatch exponentially. Snatch balances, hundred percent snatch balances. So a lot of times, uh, snatch and you'd probably hopefully agree with this. The snatch is, is definitely more technique than it is strength, right? Yes. Like for a very, very large majority of the people at your CrossFit gym, they 
have issues with snatch technique, not snatch strength. Correct. So for me, this kind of goes back to when I mentioned about being comfortable bailing, bailing the barbell and failing. Uh, it's snatch balances. It teaches people how to get underneath the bar and be okay with it. So many people can pull the bar, but they're, they're afraid getting underneath of it. Because, again, it's this piece of metal above their head that they can't see. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, honestly, for most CrossFit people that I've worked with, it's just like, hey, practice snatch balances. Do a snatch balance. And a snatch balance, again, uh, visual concept that I'm going to try to explain here uh, using words. A snatch balance is where we actually start with the bar on our back. Our hands are in the overhead squat, you know, position or snatch position, either one, snatch grip position. And all we do is we we dip and drive a little bit to get the barbell off of our shoulders. And then like a trap door opening up underneath of our feet, we drop down into our overhead squat as quickly as possible and into the bottom of the overhead squat position. Mm-hmm. That's a snatch balance. You, it should make a noise because your feet should, you know, slap the ground um, when you you quote unquote, open that trap door and drop underneath of it. But a lot of people, they don't like getting under the barbell quickly. So it turns into like this slow overhead squat. And then that's a huge limiter. The best lifters, um, as you probably know, you got to get, you know, your, your ass under the bar. Um, (laughs) right. Excuse my French. You got to get your ass under the bar. Um, if you, if you can't do that and you can't do it quickly, gravity's going to win. So snatch balances, I will drill those all day long. I'll have people do snatch balances with the 10 second hold at the bottom. Like, hey, you're not comfortable with your overhead squat? Well, good news. We're going to hang out there for a minute <laughs> and a half today. Right. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden, all these these errors and these like, um, you know, hesitations to get under the bar will go away. Once yeah. we get them under the bar quickly and once we say, hey, I want you to hang out at the absolute dead bottom of your overhead squat. Um, with 70% of your one rep max. And I want you to hang out there for, for 10 seconds before standing up. All of a sudden, all these people are like, okay, yeah. Uh, now I know what it feels like to be down here and pinned to the bottom. Right. And, and all of a sudden, everybody's a lot better. And it's also, I think it's really important in the snatch is to teach people the importance of locking out. Because as long as your elbows are locked out, you really can't hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. bar is going to go forward or back or, yep. or you're going to land on your butt, but the bar is not going to hit you. Absolutely. And that's, um, yeah, the elbow lockout thing is, is definitely, uh, an issue. And it's an issue that it's like, if you don't solve it, you don't want to go too heavy with the weight. Right. Um, you know, because if you're, if you're catching it with bent arms and, and pressing out, you're just asking for trouble because right. the bar's going to drop. That's the biggest thing down. I see people yeah. doing is, is trying to add the weight when, you know, with 40 pounds or 40 kilos, they're not even, locking out and you're like the next ones are just going to continue to you're going to hit yourself in the head eventually <laughs> yeah and a really good one for that um i do like snatch balance for, for that but um like snatch push press same thing bar on the back snatch grip position dip drive and you're just pressing out and you almost either need to be really critical with yourself on video or have someone saying nope you're not locked out mm-hmm. um the cue that I give is I want you to imagine that you're trying to rip the bar apart from basically where your hands are on the bar. Imagine pulling the bar apart and you're breaking it in half in the middle because you've literally pulled it apart. Um, that's 
what I want you to feel like you're doing when you're grabbing the bar overhead. A lot of times, if you if you see those soft elbows during the overhead squat, just simply saying, hey, the, imagine the bar is a band and I'm trying to spread that band apart. That is a cue that will sometimes get people to lock out. Um, and again, that one's just like constantly, constantly getting people to understand what it feels like to lock out because you're not actually looking at yourself. Like unless you, you, you have a gym, like I'm not, I like gyms that have mirrors. I know that's like a faux pas in CrossFit, but I like mirrors because I can say, oh, look, my left elbow is bent and I didn't think it was bent. So mm-hmm. if you if you can lift in front of a mirror or have someone film you or have someone cue you and say, nope, arm's still bent, nope, arm's still bent, um, you can hopefully get out of that habit and develop a good one. Yeah, and one of the things I've noticed in, in my lifting, like coming back after a ton of years, is taking video from the side, especially in the snatch or the clean, is seeing how I'm not keeping the bar very close to me. Like I've yep. lost that, you know, full extension and it's way out in front. And yep. I, I wish 20 years ago I had an iPhone, you know, it would, yeah. <laughs> it would have really helped. But yeah, seeing video of yourself is terrible, but also very helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredible to to see what you do versus what you think you're doing. Um, right. a huge, we actually have a service at Wad Prep. Um, it's kind of flown under the radar. I haven't promoted it too much, but we have a service called Athlete Analysis where basically you can send in unlimited videos to um, our team of Wad Prep coaches. And within 48 hours, we send you like a video analysis of like, here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing wrong. Uh, and and the only lifts are probably the most popular things people send in. And it's almost always, please shoot the video from the side and, and, and record the video in a decent frame rate. You know, don't use your grandmother's flip phone, please. Um, <laughs> and if you and if we get a good video, there's there's so many things, so much information can be gleaned from those videos. I'm just going to start sending you guys videos so you have something to laugh at. <laughs> I, I promise you it couldn't be the worst we've had some <laughs> had some serious serious issues but you know everybody starts somewhere and that's yeah goal is is not to have someone leap from atrocious to perfect it's like hey that was bad but guess what we're gonna make this one one improvement and that's what i want you to focus on uh, i really don't like how a lot of coaches will like, oh, hey, it's your first day of snatching. You need to work on all 27 of these things. Like, right. hey, your bar was pushed away from your body a little bit during that lift. It's like that is not the thing we need to fix. What we need to fix is the crazy rounded back and the bent elbows. Right. right? So it's like it's all about attacking whatever that biggest, I call it a domino, whatever that biggest domino is, whatever that first thing that they need to fix, the most important thing that's going to keep them safe, fix that one first and then move on to the next, and then the next, and then the next, as a progression, not all at once. Right. What's the one thing that they're going to get hurt doing if they keep doing it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, let's talk about um, the power, maybe the clean and jerk, or the maybe deadlift and clean. Which, which one of those, what are some of the best tips you have for, let's do cleans. Let's do cleans, because deadlifts, uh, deadlifts are really simple, um, mm-hmm. and they're still very messed up. Uh, a lot of people... <laughs> mess them up um yeah let's let's do cleans okay so what's some of the most helpful tips you have for cleans um this probably won't come as a surprise but it's getting comfortable with the ass to grass front squat Mm. um huge limiter for people with their clean is they like if they catch it at the true dead bottom of their front squat 
they bail every time. Yeah. Um, because they're not comfortable. Their thoracic spine, uh, their upper back is not able to support heavy weight all the way down at the bottom. And when I say all the way down, I'm like, I mean, like, you are so low that you, like, don't even think you can stand up. Right. And that's where I want you to be comfortable. So, super, super deep front squats, hugely important. I'll also uh, have people work on, like, one and a quarter front squats. So, that's where we go all the way down. We come a quarter of the way up, go all the way back down, and then stand up. Yeah, it's just more time really, really low in mm -hmm. that front squat. That's a big one. And then another cue for the clean uh, is, is the elbows. Uh, I have a video out there, and it's actually – believe it or not, a controversial video. Oh, um, and it's yes. about, it's about f fast elbows. So I have a video out there that just says, Hey, remember to have fast elbows on your clean. And some people are like, this is not a coaching cue. This is worthless and not helpful. And then the other half of people are like, Oh my gosh, I never thought of it this way. This changed my life. So as long as I'm helping some people, that's what matters. But <laughs> basically a huge reason people fail the clean is they bring the bar all the way up to their shoulders. And then, and this, for whatever reason, women have a tendency, just based on my experience, the ladies have a tendency to do this more often than the men. Maybe it's because women don't want to have scars all over their neck or something like that. And mm -hmm. they care more about protecting that area or if it's a, some sort of psychological thing, I don't know. But I'll have a lot of people, including my wife, and I'm calling you out, Shelby. Um, <laughs> she catches it on the front of her shoulder with her elbows like pretty much pointed down at the, at the ground and then slowly rolls the bar up her shoulders into that like true front rack position where now her elbows are pointed straight in front of her, right? right. So almost always, like as soon as she gets above like 70%, it'll be like that slow elbow will start to come into play. So the bar lands in your shoulders, elbows pointed down, and then as you stand up to lock it out, the elbows will start to rise. And then when you stand, your elbows are pointing forward. There's a problem with that. Once you catch a one rep max, you can't, you don't have the luxury of rolling the barbell up your shoulders and into the front rack position. You need to catch it there to start. So a way to fix that is to tell people, you need to be catching the barbell in the front rack position, elbows forward, ASAP, as soon right. as possible. There is zero room for for the elbows to move. You should click, and I say this like with air quotes that you can't see, but you should <laughs> click your elbows into place. It should be like the barbell locks into your front rack position, not slowly gets there. Um, right. And again, very visual demonstration. I have a couple of videos on YouTube about slow elbow syndrome. That's what I call it, slow elbow syndrome. I make up words sometimes <laughs> or phrases. Sounds good to me. Yeah. So slow elbow syndrome, very, very common. It kills a lot of people's clean potential. And if you learn to fix it, uh, one way you can do is like a Frankenstein clean. Have you ever? No. What are those? Have you ever done a Frankenstein squat? I probably have, just I don't know the term. Okay, so that's where you have the barbell in your front rack position, and then like do it here. You're you're like we're doing it, and no one can see us. But I have my hands in the front rack position. <laughs> the bar is kind of like in my fingertips, resting on the top of my shoulder. Now all I want you to do is just to reach out in front of you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, that position, the barbell is still on my shoulders, so I can't let my hands drop. I need to keep my hands up, but the barbell's still on my shoulders. What I will do is I'll have people clean into that position. Um, right. Not at a super heavy weight, because that would probably be dangerous, but basically what we're doing is we clean, and then as soon as the barbell hits our shoulders, boom, hands out in front. Yeah. And what that does is that that teaches people the necessity of getting their elbows through. Because um, again, with our hands out in front, what my elbows are very high, and then if I just keep my elbows in the same place, take my hands, touch the top of my shoulders, elbows are pointed forward, mm-hmm. right? That's that cue that I try to get people to understand. Like we can't have our arms pointing to the ground. If we try to do a Frankenstein clean and have have our hands pointed to the ground, guess what? The barbell's going to roll down our arms and it's probably going to hurt. Yeah. But if we have our hands up and we have the, those elbows facing forward. We're going to be able to catch the clean, and that is a huge one that I think a lot of coaches don't drill in nearly enough because that like one thing prevents so many people from from hitting their true one rep max. Right, I've noticed too, and and this is just something that I've seen. It seems like the people that have the slow elbow syndrome also have a really slow pull syndrome. Yeah, probably it's it just s- slowness. Slow. Is, is the death. <laughs> just slow. Of lifts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what are some misconceptions that I know you have heard, especially where you are with your job? Um, what are some misconceptions you've heard with CrossFit in general? Like what makes you cringe at the grocery store when you tell someone you do CrossFit? Um, let's see. Some misconceptions um, are that it's dangerous. It can be. Just like anything. Anything can be dangerous if you do it incorrectly. Um, CrossFit, if you go to a good gym with good coaches, it is one of the healthiest things you can do. Um, Because being, quote unquote, addicted to fitness is so much better than uh, doing what I used to do, going to the gym and like hitting it hard for two weeks, some bodybuilding routine, and then just getting bored and then not going to the gym three weeks and then just like that like horrible relationship with the gym and with fitness crossfit is not dangerous when done properly and conversely it's very very good for you because we don't only focus on the inside the gym aspects but like when you start falling in love with crossfit naturally you're like hmm maybe i should worry about this nutrition thing because i think it's helped me in my workouts hmm maybe i should worry about mobility maybe i should worry about how i sleep or how much sleep i get because it really does affect how good I am in the gym. All these other, you know, co-founding factors start to come into play and you start like falling in love with fitness as a whole, not just in the gym and for physique purposes. Um, so that's one maybe misconception debunked. Another one is like you shouldn't squat below parallel. That one's been just that one's just stupid. Um, right. and a lot of uh, basically people will trust their medical doctors for like physical advice, which is totally ridiculous because most medical doctors like don't have the uh, exercise science anything. They don't know anything about nutrition or exercise science because that's just not the way our, our you know health care system works. No fault against them, but they a lot of medical doctors shouldn't be giving nutritional advice and they shouldn't be giving how to squat advice. <laughs> really. <laughs> um, so, like, seeing an actual physical therapist, uh, we actually have a doctor of physical therapy on staff at Wad Prep, and he, he, you know, loves going to town about, like, common misconceptions of, like, injuries, like, people who, like, say, oh, I have to get rotator cuff 
surgery, like he totally debunks a lot of that because a lot of it is just bullcrap. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, squatting below parallel, that one's been debunked many times over. So make sure you, you know, you can look into that. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, another one is like it's a cult. <laughs> um, and I will admit, I am I am the anti cult guy. Um, I. You probably have noticed I never say CrossFit box. I say CrossFit gym just yes. because I don't like the word box. I think it sounds pretentious and stupid. I don't like it either, but I feel like I'm <laughs> supposed to say it. Yeah, yeah. and there is that pressure. There is that pressure to like say it. And uh, this is going to be crazy for some people. I hate the word wad. I hate it. And <laughs> so my, your business my name, business name is WADRAP because there's no other way to align with the CrossFit brand without getting sued, you know? Like, WAD is, is free to use. Anyone can use uh, it. It's either RX or WAD, and I chose WAD prep because it just made sense. But I hate it. I never – I say workout. <laughs> I never say WAD. Um, same thing with box and all that stuff. So while it is technically probably by definition uh, on the side of cult, um, it's a really good thing to get into like i mentioned earlier um you don't have to be the person who wears a crossfit shirt seven days a week goes out to the goes out to your local bar and talks to people about freaking crossfit things right you don't have to be that i am the example of like i don't do that when i'm outside of the gym or, or working like i'll talk to you about crossfit if you want but like that's not the only thing i talk about um you don't have to be this cult person that's like obsessed with it wearing long socks that say bacon on them like that's <laughs> against everything i stand for so you don't have to be the culty crossfitter you can be the yeah i love working out and i happen to go to a crossfit gym <laughs> right yeah. like totally fine and you can maintain your identity as a normal human being and not a crossfit <laughs> culter um but to that same you know, I, I, I will suggest that if you want to have a just healthier life and just be into fitness, and when I say fitness, I mean like your whole life, not just one little box in the corner that you put your, you know, three days a week of working out just so you don't get fat. Um, it'll, it'll take fitness and make it a primary aspect of your life. And I am in support of that. And I think that is a great thing. So, yeah. yeah. So how have you handled the sort of explosion with wad prep as far as, you know, social media is such a blessing and a curse, um, you know, just how do you deal with, I don't want to say haters. That's like wad for me. I hate that word hater, <laughs> but how do you deal with the haters? Honestly, there really hasn't been that much and I probably don't pay attention to it very much, but haters are going to hate. Um, <laughs> I think, I've been lucky enough where the hate has been overwhelmed by positive feedback. Yeah. So I can brush it off relatively easy. If it was like 50-50, I'd probably be a head case. But <laughs> the the haters, I mean, basically anyone who does CrossFit or who's like interested in CrossFit kind of things, they they respect what we do and they and they like some of the tips. Hey, maybe some of the tips don't work for them. Like, hey, remember fast elbows. Um, that doesn't always work for people, and that's totally fine. But my goal as a, as a content creator, uh, social media, you know, content releaser, is just I'm always approaching this sport from a different angle 
and trying to help people have those aha moments and say, oh, wow, like I never thought of it this way or I never had someone teach it to me like that. Um, and I'm just trying to continually, you know, give that experience to people who are, you know, trying to get better at this at this crazy sport that we love. Um, so the haters that, that come in, like I'm kind of insulated by by the haters a little bit because I'm not I'm not going out there creating content that's like why CrossFit is better than bodybuilding, right? right. I'm not out there saying like why kipping pull-ups are better than strict pull-ups. I have videos that say hey you shouldn't be doing kipping pull-ups unless you can do strict. They're two totally different movements and one you know should precede the other. Um, so yeah. long story short, there really hasn't been too many haters. A lot of that probably comes with I don't check. Like I am the worst social media person. Like we have a good, we have a good following, but like I'm not in there very much. And I'll be honest. Like we post the content, but I'm not sitting there, um, you know, getting too worked up about the comments. I really try to focus on the core group of people who are like signed up to my email list, and then even more so focusing on the core group of people who have purchased our courses. Like those are the people who are on the inside. And once you get that deep, you know, there there isn't any room for any haters because um, right. they're the like paying money for my courses. So obviously exactly. not too much exists in there. So yeah, yeah um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of insulated from it, which is good. Well, I'll tell you, every time I have an email from you or I see that you posted a video, I don't look at a lot of emails and feel like I get much value, but I always know that I'm about to learn something. So I think it's fantastic what you do. And I'm very appreciative as a newbie wannabe pull-upper nice. <laughs> to yes. get your emails. And we're actually working like at the time of recording. So maybe by the time uh, we release this, it, it'll be ready to rock. But we're working on like a, a very in-depth uh, free training series for pull-ups. And, you know, spoiler alert, it will lead into like actually promoting the strict pull-up strength course. Um, but yeah, basically my goal, uh, and I learned this from like kind of like a uh, another online entrepreneur person that I follow, but like my goal is that our free stuff is better than everyone else's paid stuff. Like I just oh, want to have nice. really high quality, high value content so that when I do eventually make the offer and say, hey, this is what I do for a living. Like if you want everything tied up in a bow and you want exactly how to do it, you know, like pay $100 or $200 uh, is the normal rate for our courses. They're, they don't balk at it. They say, wow, he's giving me a lot of value. And I know that if he's making me pay 200 bucks for this course, that seems pretty steep. I know it's going to work. And yeah. sure enough, it does. And we still offer a 100% money back results guarantee on everything. And I can't even remember the last time I had to issue a refund. Um, it was probably, you know, several, several weeks ago um, because it, the stuff works. Yeah. I mean, that's, I just, I want our stuff to work and I, and I want to keep attracting people who are willing to put in the work to make it happen. Well, I think it's amazing. I, I have one more question for you. So this podcast is called the same 24 hours. And it comes from the idea that we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness and success. So what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think makes you sort of li live your best life? Hmm. So one of the one of double the most unders. <laughs> no not double unders. Um, one of the most impactful books that I've ever read is called Deep Work by Cal Newport, um, and Deep Work just talks about um, how to basically how to be productive in a distraction prone 
world. Like th- this world that we live in is so distracting. Um, if I didn't know any better, like I could have my Facebook pulled up. I could have my phone next to me right now. I could have all these things and they could be dinging and distracting me and not keeping me focused on this conversation. But instead I'm like locked in a room, my phone, I don't even know where it is. All, everything else on my computer is off except for this Skype call, right? Mm -hmm. Deep work talks about how if you want to truly create good work, whether it's like you as an actual artist or creator or you as a producer of, of information for like a company um, or a like you have focused attention that you need to give to get a project done. The best way to do it is to is to truly ritualize and understand the concept of deep work, which is working in a distractionless environment for a you know set period of time to just get shit done basically yeah. um, is what it is and without that without that concept like pounded into my mind I just and I still fall into it all the time where I'm just like you know spinning a plate over here responding to messages over here responding to my team over here and sending an email and checking Facebook and like oh I wonder if anybody posted something on Instagram you know just like <laughs> floating around in this like this feeling of busyness, but then at the end of the day, you are left with nothing productive, right? If you want to truly produce great work, what no matter what it is you do, if you want to truly produce great work, you have to eliminate your distractions and you have to be relentless about it. And for me, like I have to be like monk-like with it. Like I have to lock myself in a distractionless room if I want to be distraction-free. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I'll share the links to all the wad prep things and I will report back to you next year that I'm doing strict pull-ups after your program. (laughs) Love it. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for having me.